just been such a joy for me, especially this week, to be mindful again of, of who I am in Christ and who we are as God's people. And I, I hope this series is being helpful to you. Sometimes I think, you know, all these sermons are for me and I hope that nobody else is annoyed by them because the, these words have been very encouraging to me to know that before I was ever born, Jesus prayed for me. And I hope that you've taken time to go back and read John 17, that prayer that Jesus prayed for us, those of us who would come to believe and how that, that prayer has been fulfilled. And now there, there is a people of God uh, that are the people of the kingdom of God. And again, that poetic, powerful uh, way of understanding ourselves presented in 1 Peter 2, beginning in verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And because of that mercy, because of what we've been made as the people of the kingdom of God, there are specific things that we have. And we've been doing a flyby, just a, a brief overview of the book of Acts. And we've been pulling out what it is we have as, as God's people in the kingdom of God. And today we're going to learn that we have God's family. Family is such a great blessing. It is one of the gifts that God has given to us. It says in Romans 8, 16, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We who are born again and saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, we are children of God and we call, we call God our father. That, that makes us family. And I realize that hearing that word family, for some, that, that, that's, that's, that's not a positive word. Uh, for some, it's something that you've, you're avoiding. I'm sad to say that there are some uh, in our midst, even amongst our young adults who are thinking, I don't want a family. I don't want marriage. It sounds like a job, not a joy. And many are pushing it off. Many are walking away from this joy that God has given because it's not being experienced rightly according to the way God commands us in his word. And so we're missing out on it. And, and, and it's sad. And, and I would say to you, if, if you're afraid of family, if you're not leaning into that, to, to go back to God's word and look what, look what it promises, look at what it provides, look at what, what God wants it to be. And at the same time, realize it's not the be all end all. You know, there's on this other side, I mean, because family is such a happy thing, because it's such a good thing, unfortunately, we also have some folks that get married and they have children and they say, wait a minute, I thought this was going to fix everything. I thought once I got married that this is just all my life was going to be full and those children were going to fill my hallways with happiness and fun times. And sometimes they do, but they're sinners just like you, which means they can't, they can't be your identity. They can never fill that place in your heart. Only, only God can fill your heart. Only God can do it. So we got to be careful. Marriage, family is a created thing. We should not make too little of it, nor should we make too much of it. There's only one God. And, and he is the giver of all good things. And family is one of those good things. And it's amazing when there are healthy families, how healthy our society becomes. You know, right now, our, 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 our society's struggling. And if you, if you wonder, where is it? Where is it I need to be praying? Friends, you need to be praying for our school teachers and principals and administrators because they are having a tough time right now. And here's why. Because there are so many unhealthy families. 
There are children that are coming into classrooms. Uh, spoke to a teacher who said half the, ba- the, the backpacks uh, reek of, of marijuana when, when, when she opens those bags. That's brokenness. That's pain. That's hurt. And that's what is coming into our schools. And we need to be praying for them, not angry, praying for these precious children and these, these, these moms and these dads and, that are driving around with us. We need to be praying for their health. And at the same time, we need to be praying for church families because where there are healthy church families, there are healthy societies. And what we see in our text today is how we can be a healthy family of faith. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, let's go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Audrey's gonna come and read it for us the last few verses. Let's all stand together in honor of God's word. Go to Acts chapter 10 and go to the end. And uh, let's go to verses 44 through 48. She's going to read those. We're going to go back and we're going to work our way, God willing, uh, through the chapter. Audrey, read that for us. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, Then Peter declared, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word Lord remains forever. Amen? Amen. Thank you, sweet girl. If you would be seated and pray now for the preaching of God's word. I like to do this just to remind us again what's happened so far in the book of Acts. And if, if you're just joining us for the first time, um, here's what you've missed. So in, in Acts chapter one, Jesus proved that he had been raised from the dead. And he told the disciples to sit tight because the Holy Spirit was coming. And the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost and the church was born. The church began to live out the one and others in the church, but they were ignoring Acts 1.8. That's what Jesus told them to do. He said, the Holy Spirit's going to come and then you're going to be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And they had forgotten that Samaria and the ends of the earth portion and they were hanging out in Jerusalem and God allowed persecution. It, it led to the death of Stephen, the uh, introduction to a guy named Saul and the gospel went forth to Samaria. So Philip led a revival there in Samaria in Acts chapter 8, and it was, it was transformational. But right in the middle of the revival, he sends Philip on a mission trip to a, to a desert place outside Jerusalem on the way to Gaza, and he runs into an Ethiopian. And so the gospel first went to the Gentiles, to the African people. The, the, the Africans were the first Gentiles that we know of that, that, that knew the gospel. But God had a plan for the whole world, and he knew there'd be a man that would be needed to raise up that would understand doctrine in such a powerful way that he could write not only portions of the New Testament, but provide a clear understanding of God's will and God's way. And so the, the, the Apostle Paul, once the persecutor Saul, was saved in Acts chapter 9. And, and this transformed society as we know it, because now God was ready to unleash the gospel into all the world. So they reached, they reached Samaria, they touched the world in Africa, and now it was time to, to get on with, with reaching the rest of the world. But to do that, there needed to be an affirmation and understanding that this was God's will from the, the original church, the founding church. And so what we see happening in Acts chapter 10 is God using the apostle Peter 
who had great authority in that early church to make clear that this was God's will and that the Gentiles were to be received into the family of, of God. And so uh, go back to, chapter, to, to verse one of chapter 10. And, and what you see happening here is what God does. First of all, he speaks clearly to Peter through a vision and says, Peter, look, no more about this Jew Gentile stuff. From now on, it's open door policy. And so the way he did it was he said, kill and eat. And he showed him foods that all his life, Peter had been told by his mama, he could not eat. And he, he made a big fuss about it and said, Lord, you know, I can't eat this stuff. And God said, son, what I've said is clean is clean. And from now on, the ceremonial law has been fully met in Jesus Christ. The moral law still stands. All right. The theocracy and the ceremonial law of the Old Testament does not stand. It's been fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so this ceremonial law is being put aside. And Peter's kind of getting his mind around this about the time that God's showing up to a fellow named Cornelius. So verses 9 through, 20, you see, through 23, you see God now showing up to a fellow named Cornelius. And, and this guy is a Roman centurion, a lot of authority, a lot of power, but he's a Gentile. Now he fears God. And that says something about the capacity of human beings, that we were made to know God. And there is a desire in every human heart to know the maker. And this one, Cornelius, wanted to. And so he understood the value of every human being having been made in the, in the image of God. What we need to understand that's happening in our society right now is there are a lot of people that are talking about rights and equality and all these other things. And by the way, these are all good things. And, and the reason why they're good is because they're biblical things. The very things that most people are wanting today and demanding today are the things that Christianity has brought to the surface. Friends, before Christianity, the, the human beings had no real value. Uh, women and children were, were basically animals, things to own. There was no value to human life. The only thing that had value was power. But when Jesus Christ came, and the church was born and the word of God was made readily available to the masses, to the nations. That's where our sense of values came from. So every time you see someone angry about the way society is going, you need to help them understand the reason why you're angry is because you've been Christianized. Because you understand and have a desire based on what God says is right and best for human beings. Now, you need to know this God so that you can better understand this emotion that you're feeling. And so what we see happening here is God making that very obvious. Listen, there's no more, there's no distance. And so God was at work in this God-fearer's life. And he was making this one ready to receive this message. So he sends down these fellows that are supposed to go and fetch Peter. Now, I love the awkwardness of this whole interaction that starts in verse 24. Uh, if, if you've never seen the TV uh, show Office, count yourself blessed. But if you have seen it, you know how awkward the show is. It's just, it's just a weird, awkward show. And either I've found that either it's like Neil Diamond, either you love it or you don't, right? And, and so to me, the, the Apostle Peter has always come off as like a Michael Scott to me because he always talks when he shouldn't. I mean, he's on the Mount Transfiguration. There's Moses, there's Elijah, there's Jesus. And what's Peter doing? Talking, making a speech. And God the Father has to interrupt him and say, be quiet, listen to my son. And, and then everything disappears. And you know, the disciples are like, Peter, could you just be quiet? You're so awkward. You're so awkward. And so here we are in verse 24 of chapter 10. And it's just awkward. I mean, Peter knows, okay, I got to go with these guys. And he meets Cornelius and his family and all his friends. And the first thing, verse 24, Peter says is, I'm not supposed to be here. 
my mom would be so mad if she knew I was here right now. Because y'all are Gentiles, y'all are dogs, y'all are dirty, and I'm here because God told me to be here. I want that written in the record. Somebody write this in the book of Acts. Luke, write that down. I came because God said I had to be here. It's just awkward. So Cornelius, when he sees Peter, he bows down to worship him. And Peter's picking him up. Don't do that. What's wrong with you? I'm not a God. I am a man just like you. I'm the one that's in need of salvation. And Cornelius kind of gets the message. And, and so he, he begins to make clear. Peter starts making clear that, look, I'm breaking every Jewish law. My mom will be so upset with me if she ever finds out about this. What I'm doing is against the rules. But God said, and that's enough for me. So I'm here. So Cornelius, verse 29, he starts explaining, okay, well, here's what happened. I got this vision. I was told to fetch you. You're here. And I love the way he kind of finishes. It's so awkward. He's like, so we're here. Verse 33, we're all here. Say it. Say what you're going to say. Do it. And it's just awkward because if you read closely, even Peter's words here, it's not smooth. All right. This is not a, a well thought out discourse. As a matter of fact, I'm not even sure that the translators made it actually kind of, it's like, hey, here's a history lesson. And by the way, here's something else. And you need to know this. And, and this is true also. I mean, it's just kind of scattered. And that's how I know the Bible is true and authentic. Because if you were going to make up and write a story, you would always make your hero smooth. You would make the language clear. You, you would make it polished. And Peter was anything but. And the Bible is what it is. It's God's, it's God's word uh, to us. But he used human beings for his glory to accomplish what he, exactly he wanted said. And so what we see here in Peter's discourse is this message on what makes a family of God, God's family, what it makes us healthy. Three things I want to challenge you to write down and live out. The first one is this. The family of God, uh, the family of God is made diverse is made diverse by God the Father. And you're gonna see a Trinitarian outline here of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One God and three persons, and a great provision here. Understand uh, what, what Peter's saying here. So verse 34, so Peter opened his mouth and said, truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone, that's a good word to underline, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. Please understand that from the beginning, God promised that his family would be diverse. This is Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. It says, now the Lord said to Abraham, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And now look at this. You need to have this underlined in your Bible in verse 3 if you don't. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. All nations, all colors, all language groups of people will be best blessed through Jesus, the promised one from Genesis 3.15, affirmed in Genesis 12, affirmed in 2 Samuel 7, prophesied in Isaiah 9, prophesied in Isaiah 53. All of the things that the prophet said, all of these fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And what we see in this family, in this promise in particular, is there is to be no partiality and no prejudice in the family of God, we do not elevate or denigrate people based on their physical appearance, language, or socioeconomic standing. I believe this needs to be one of the battle cries of the evangelical church in this day and time in 2 Corinthians 5.16. Please know this and hold to this, hold it closely to your heart because of the gospel from now on. 
Therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It doesn't matter what color a person is. It doesn't matter what their background is. It doesn't matter what language they speak or what nation they come from. It doesn't matter. We don't regard people based on physical appearance. We don't regard people according to the flesh. Writing to a church there, James, the brother of Jesus in James 2 beginning in verse 8. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, oh my goodness, look at that. If you show partiality, it's not that you're, you're creating a, a social faux pas. Look at this language. You are committing sin. You are acting against God and are convinced by the law as and, and convicted by the law as transgressors. What is he talking about here? He's talking about how the church is never to regard people with financial resources higher than those who don't have them. He says, we are all equal at the foot of the cross. No one is better than anybody else in the family of God. Doesn't matter what color you are, what nation you're from, what language you speak, what you do or don't have in your bank account or where you live. We are all equal in Christ. And one day we're going to experience it in such an amazing way. When Jesus comes back, Revelation 5, 9, and they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Friends, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who are in Christ and those who are not. It's the only two kinds of people there are in the world. There's all kinds of colors, all kinds of languages, but there are people who are in Christ and who are right and acceptable because they obey God, because they know and love God, and those who reject God, and they do what they want. There is only one way a person can be made right and acceptable. This is the Bible, this is 1 Timothy chapter two, and this gets a lot of people been out of shape. I was reading a book on this yesterday, and, and I'm so accustomed to it, and so are you, that this probably is like, yeah, duh. But friends, to people who want all religions to mean and say the same thing, to, to people who, who want to, to, to disregard the authentic expression of faith of every human being, and we all have one, that they be the same. Well, the Bible just doesn't allow for that. It says in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. Now, he died for all, but he'll only save those who believe. And everyone has the freedom to choose what they believe. And everyone believes something. Everyone has a savior. Now, some believe in, in, in what the government can do. Some believe in what they can do. Some, some place their identity in some other created thing. But there's only one savior. And that is Jesus Christ. Because he alone can overcome what is our greatest problem. Here's what we got to remember all the time. This world that we're living in now, this is not the way God designed it. When we use three circles, we talk about three circles, we understand first and foremost that, that God's design was perfect harmony. Everything was whole. And we, as his image bearers, were, were, were responsible to be stewards of his creation to spread God's love all over the world. But instead, we sinned. And that sin created brokenness. The first thing that happens with sin is it breaks our relationship with God. And if you have a broken relationship with God, you're broken within because you're made to know and love God. 
So if you don't have that right relationship with God, you can't relate to yourself rightly because you can't think right and you can't feel right. So there's brokenness within. So if you have a broken relationship with your maker and the one who loves you eternally and, you're, and you don't have a right relationship with yourself and you're confused and you're overwhelmed with anxiety and anger and, and you're frustrated, you don't trust you, you don't trust anybody else, you're sure not gonna have peace with other people and that's where the problems of our world have come because there's brokenness. But I got good news, the gospel. God did not abandon us in this brokenness. Instead, he entered into it. God, holy God, became man. He lived a holy life that we could not live. He died to pay the penalty for our sin. The Holy One, God, he who knew no sin, became sin. When Jesus was dying on the cross, the most horrific moment ever in all eternity is when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment, he took responsibility for my sin and every sin of every person who ever believed and the shame and the hurt and the brokenness he'd never experienced in that moment was on him and he died with it on him. So that it was removed. So the debt was paid. And on the third day he was raised and now everyone who believes in him is free to pursue and recover God's design. If we repent and believe the gospel, we become the family of God. This is, and it will be people of all nations, all colors. We don't care. There's two kinds of people, those who have trusted in Christ and those who haven't. And there is to be no other defining way that we look at people other than that. And when we do, we're experiencing the freedom. That's the second thing. The family of God is made free by God the Son. Made free. Look down to verse 43. To him all the prophets bear witness, and everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. There's a freedom that comes only through Jesus Christ because only Jesus sets, sets people free, sets his family free. And this is what the Old Testament said he would do. To him, all the prophets bear witness. You know, when Jesus began his ministry, one of the first things he did was identify himself as the one that the prophets promised and spoke to. So you look at Luke chapter four, all right? I'm gonna put this on the screen for you. In verse 17, he's at his home uh, gathering and they handed him the scroll because now he's this big deal that everybody knows about that heals people and does miracles. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, remember Isaiah was written 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. So this is seven centuries. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me, look at this, to proclaim liberty to the captives, freedom and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty, freedom, those who are oppressed proclaimed the year of the Lord's favor and he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down and and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him so think about this he's just read a 700 year old prophecy that everyone in their day knew and they were anticipating that there was going to be this Messiah who was going to come and what they thought would happen is that this Messiah would kick out Rome Israel would be the big dog in the world again and the world power and be able to run things and here comes Jesus, born in a manger, born of a virgin, living a holy life, goes to his home church, reads the scripture, sits down, everybody's staring at him. It's an awkward moment. And look what Jesus says in verse 21. Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Do you realize what he was saying? I'm the man. 
I'm the man that's going to crush Satan's head. I'm the man that, that Genesis 12 was pointing to. I'm the man, 2 Samuel 7 said, that would, that would take up the, the seat of the throne of David. I'm the man, Isaiah 9 promised, that would come and, and be the wonderful counselor and mighty God. I'm the one who would be Isaiah 53, the suffering servant. Jesus made it very clear. I'm the one that's come to set you free. Can you give him praise? Isn't that good news? So what does that mean? First of all, understand it is freedom from the power of sin, the power of sin. Romans 6, 7 says, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. And that's what we proclaim at baptism. We're dead, we're buried, we're washed, we're raised to walk in newness of life. We have a new life and we're free and we're to help each other in that life. And the way we help each other in that life is by speaking to one another in the ways that are the most beneficial and that, to, to make us more like Jesus. And to be able to talk to people rightly, you, you gotta understand them. If you're a leader and if you're a parent, you're a leader. If you influence people off, you're a coach, teacher, anything in business, you need to know 1 Thessalonians 5.14, all right? 1 Thessalonians 5.14, because this helps us understand how we are to relate to other people. Look what it says. And we urge you, brothers, three things. Admonish the idle. The ones that are goof, goofing off, get on them. Encourage the faint-hearted. The ones who don't have confidence, encourage them. Help the weak, help the ones that don't have a voice, help the ones who can't. Look at this one, be patient with them all. You need to be in a relationship with people who know you well enough to know how to deal with you and you with them. When I was, uh, I was associated with a team once where uh, a young man uh, was being treated like our, the coach treated everybody. And he raised his voice and got this young man. He took his jersey off and his practice shorts off and walked out. The next day he was at practice. And after practice, I went to coach and said, coach, I've known you a long time. What's going on? He said, well, I'll tell you what happened. Last night, uh, that guy's cousin called me. And he let me know what was going on. His dad was killed. His mom left. He's living with grandparents who can't take care of him. And the last thing he needed was being told once again how bad he was. I said, what'd you do? So I picked him up for breakfast, told him we're going to be best friends, and that I love him, and that he's going to be on this team, and, and that we're going to be all right. After I quit crying, I told him, good job. You got to admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. The only way you can do that is if you know them. That's why guys, you need to be with guys, and girls, you need to be with girls. I love ABFs. I love connect groups. But look, guys, you need to be with guys who know you well enough to get in your stuff. And girls, you need it too. So here's what we're doing. September 20, I'm sorry, November 29th, we got a, a gathering for gals. And men, the next night, we got a gathering for us. And the whole thing is just to celebrate how we can help each other and, and the help that has been happening. And some of you have been in a group, you've gotten out of group, you need to get back in one. Because you need people in your life that you help and that help you. And it best happens, again, men with men, women with women. And so that helps us overcome the power of sin, but then the punishment of sin, real quick. Matthew 25, 46. 
And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Those who are in Christ are forgiven of their sin. Those who are not in Christ are responsible for their sin. Those who are responsible will be condemned for eternity. Those who've been set free from the punishment of sin, eternal life. And that life is united life. Third thing, real quick. The family of God is made united by the Spirit of God. I'm going to give you some verses, and if you were in a men's group or a women's group or a connect group, you could go and discuss these this week. If not, maybe do this over lunch. Three things I want to show you in the text. First of all, notice notice the unity here. First of all, they were all transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's what you see happening in verses 44 and 45. And this is what Jesus described to Nicodemus in John 3, 3 and 7 and 8. Jesus answered him, truly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. When the Spirit of God enters your life and you're born again and you repent and believe the gospel, you're unified with everybody else who's ever done that. Second thing, notice what happened in verse 46. They began to praise God. Now, some of them, they were speaking in tongues. Not everyone speaks in tongues, but everyone who is saved praises God. This is uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. When you're saved and the Holy Spirit is in you, you're the dwelling place of God. You're the temple. And a temple is made to praise God. And we're all united in that calling and responsibility to praise God. And then third, look at 47 and 48. Rhetorical question he asks. Shouldn't these folks be baptized? And the answer is yes. Everyone who is saved is to be baptized. This is Romans 6, 3. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Friends, I'm gonna tell you something. Baptism does not save you, but it announces that you're saved. What I got right here on my ring is a wedding band. This wedding band doesn't make me married. It announces that I'm married, that I made a covenant choice and I suckered some poor girl into marrying me. And we all praise God for Miss Carrie. Not the brightest, but thank God, right? (laughs) Options were slim back in those days. (laughs) But you know what baptism does? It says, I belong to Jesus. Friends, if you've never made that public profession of faith, I want you to understand something. You're living in disobedience to God. You say, well, I was baptized when I was a baby. That wasn't your choice. Believer's baptism, you choose to identify with Christ. And in so doing, you're not only unified with God, you're unified with our family. We will not allow you to be a a member of our church if you've not been baptized. And here's why. Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 4. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. So we share the Lord. We share the faith. We share the hope. We also share that experience of being baptized. One God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. We are all united in Christ Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit as we announce who we are in Christ to the praise of his great name. Now, here's what I know. Some of you here are not members of the family of God. And you need to be. 
And so you need to come and talk with one of the leaders here at the front at the end of the service about doing that. Some of you have not been baptized. Some of you have not joined the local church. Some of you are not living out what it means to be the family and you need to repent and you need to make some decisions today. And I wanna pray for you and as, as we contemplate that together. So let's stand together as we pray. Father, we thank you for your word and we thank you for our time in it. And now God, I pray for those who need to be saved that they will. And I pray for those who need to make public profession of their saving through faith through baptism that they will. And I pray for those who need to join this local family, that they will. And God, you know that we all struggle, we all have challenges. And so there may be some today, Father, who just need to come and pray. And as we sing together to ask for your help, I'm so grateful, Father, for your love and how good you are. And so we ask, Lord, that you would move us, that we might be the blessed people, your people, the family that you've called us to be. Hear us now as we praise you and as we pray in Jesus' name, amen.